Hello and welcome back to another episode of Abel's Abstracts, the podcast where we abstract away the complexity of building products for the next generation of the web. My name is Abel Tedros and I'll be your host today as we dive into today's episode. Today, I am very excited to invite a guest. This guest is Chadwick Strange, who is the VP of product at Scale. Scale allows DAP developers to develop their applications on uh, separate chains that are compatible with Ethereum, allowing devs to scale their applications much, much more, um, and also allowing for better UX. He's also a great musician with great music taste, and so I'd advise you to check him out on Spotify. <laughs> Chad, my friend, welcome to the show. Awesome. Uh, it's great to be here, Abel. Uh, really excited to be here, listen to your podcast. So i um, super excited to talk to you. Fantastic. And it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. So thank you so much for coming by. Yeah, so we did have a really good conversation a couple of days ago off mic. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I hope that folks who are listening to this go check you out on Spotify. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, it was, no, it was a great, great conversation we had um, a couple of days ago, and we just sort of jammed on uh, deeply into music and definitely in my prior life, I was a music producer, um, kind of like a shadow producer. Um, my older stuff is on Spotify and different places, but uh, yeah, music is um, a passion for me. I uh, haven't done it in quite a while, um, but it's still something that I actively try to participate in when I do have the time. That's awesome. So you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to go check out some awesome music and get some good Friday night vibes, I definitely recommend checking out Chadwick Strange on Spotify. Cool. So let's jump straight into it. So I guess um, there's multiple different things that I'd like to kind of talk to you about. The first kind of place to start naturally is to maybe talk a bit about um, what it's like to build a decentralized application today. You know, some of the main issues that are involved for DAP developers. And maybe I'll kick us off here in, in saying, you know, you know, contrary to popular belief, you know, building a decentralized application is actually not that different from building a normal application. And in fact, like 90% of what you do to build a normal app, you'd also do to build a dApp as well. But also, obviously, the main differences are, um, among other things, the transaction costs, so the actual gas fees that you pay, and the transaction commit time, so how long the transactions take to get committed onto, onto the Ethereum mainnet. And both of these two things increase the friction and latency of dApps. And so that's why people say the UX of dApps suck, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> and, it, and if you kind of look at these issues, you realize that they point back to the way that Ethereum is designed. So Ethereum is obviously maximizing for security and decentralization, talking a bit about like, you know, the blockchain trilemma where you have security, decentralization and scalability. And, you know, it's quite hard to optimize for all three of them. And often you have to choose between two, two of them. Um, and so maybe we could talk a bit about, you know, what it's like to build uh, decentralized applications and how scale is potentially helping to alleviate some of those pains. Sure. Yeah. I'd love to go into that. Um, it's a really good question. I think first and foremost, um, solidity development or building decentralized applications, it's not, it's not easy. Just like you said, there's, there's a lot of new dimensions that Ethereum uh, basically provides for DApp developers. And you mentioned a lot of them, you know, um, uh, the certain dimension of decentralization, allowing for greater security, like if you're sending financial transactions, and there's other dimensions like finalization, throughput, usability, manipulation resistance that DAP developers uh, do have to consider 
whether their application uh, needs to respond in any of these areas in a certain way. There are certain applications that don't require a lot of throughput, but they need absolute concrete security. And there's other decentralized applications that just need absolute throughput finalization and might not be totally concerned about security. So there's a lot of dimensions there. And given that most app developers are using Solidity, it's complicated. Solidity is a very limiting language, but I think people have, uh, given those limitations, have found uh, very interesting creative ways to get around those limitations. And part of it is not just Solidity, but it's also EVM. EVM is also limited. Just like you said, there's a dimension of gas gas, which limits the ability to run complex applications on Ethereum, has also prevented, I guess not prevented, but constrained a lot of um, developers in this space. But again, I think developers um, are very creative and found really interesting ways around uh, gas, gas constraints or complex operation constraints. And to go into security, it is very, it's, it's very difficult to think about, like given Web 3.0 or adapt technologies, how do you manage keys? Um, how do you manage deployment and upgrades? How do you ensure that your contract operates as intended? Uh, I think we're beginning to see the development of standards and procedures, but compared to Web 2.0, like we're in the very early stages of standardization and procedure development that will uh, help developers uh, build faster and build within uh, good frameworks. We're starting to see those now, but it's still very early, early parts of the ecosystem. The other thing is when you're developing a decentralized application, arguably that code is uh, uh, not necessarily open source, but is available on the blockchain for inspection. Um, and that's good in one dimension because it allows for greater transparency. Um, if you want to understand what the code is doing before you even interact with say like a DeFi app, you can dig in and, and, and understand the, the inner workings of that um, DeFi app. But it's also a con because it can open up a door, given that everything is open to different exploits if people want to uh, abuse or take advantage of the code in that way. So public access of code, given the decentralization and, and providing this on a public blockchain, um, is also added to the complexity of how do you build decentralized applications. And then on top of that, if that wasn't enough, a lot of the tooling provided to deploy applications, to audit, to debug, to do formal verification. Um, we're seeing a lot of tools being developed. A lot of great projects are being developed, but they're still quite early in development. They're still arguably clunky or difficult to use, but that's rapidly changing. Um, but that's also a constraint for how easy it is to build in this space. And I think on a high level, I think this space, um, the innovation pace in this space is a, like magnitudes faster in clock speed than web 2.0 development. There was a saying like, if you take two weeks vacation in this space and you come back, basically everything will have changed. You'd, you'd have new tooling, you'd have new bugs or exploits, you'd have like totally new scaling technologies here and there, or you know, a totally new like DeFi ecosystem that's been born. So I think there's a lot of like difficulty in paying attention as to like what technologies are evolving, but at the same time, it's really beneficial knowing that so many people are passionate in this space and are building very rapidly. Um, but that's also a constraint on like, how do you build the applications? What libraries, what tools do you use? What technology you use? Things move very fast. And so this is, um, I think web 3.0 developers, um, they have a lot of challenges, but it's really exciting to see what people are building given these constraints and these challenges. But first and foremost, I think when you're building a decentralized application, one of the things that you're thinking about is 
well, how does this scale? How do I use my technology? How do I use these constraints in gas, constraints in usability in order to get my application into um, users or into an ecosystem where people can use it easily and they don't have to fidget around with block confirmation times. They're not bogged down by security or speed of the application. And I think this is this is an area that uh, Scale Network has uh, particularly focused on in order to help DAP developers build their application and then also see the application through scalability and uh, moving it to production. Yeah, I guess that was a good kind of breakdown of some of the issues that are facing DAP developers today and, you know, the general ecosystem. I completely agree that we're just moving at like a completely breakneck speed at the moment. Things things are moving incredibly fast. And, you know, if you take your eye off the ball, you know, some complete fundamental shifts can can definitely happen. So we've spoken a bit there about, you know, some of the main issues, you know, you mentioned there, uh, scaling as, as one of them. And, you know, we're going to dive deeper into some of the stuff that S- Scale is doing and some of the ways it's, it's trying to attack some of those problems. Now, the folks listening to this podcast are, quite often folks who are in the space or already convinced that the space is very important and so you know i guess we can kind of skip that conversation of like you know why decentralized applications why uh, why are folks uh, wanting to build this why this is important and kind of dive deep into the how and i think that's exactly where scale can kind of add a lot of value so i'd love i'd love to kind of talk a bit about you know there's limitations and we, we spoke about them now around uh, layer one and ethereum in its current in its current formation um obviously that's changing going forward but you know there's still going to be the same issues and, and we'll get to that conversation but how can we how can we solve some of these issues today you know you know there's many talks about different layer two side chains uh, maybe it might be a good idea to paint a picture of the landscape and then slowly dive into where scale fits within this landscape sure so yeah like how we think about layer twos well one it's skill skill network and the core team uh at skill labs um building out the skill network we're we're all very passionate about Ethereum. Um, uh, we love Ethereum. Ethereum basically transformed a lot of our lives and thinking about business models and applications. So um, one of the impetus for working on the scale network was we want Ethereum to succeed. And Ethereum is great. There's a lot of great, great technology involved with Ethereum. There's a lot of uh, very strong community of DAP developers and core team members that work on Ethereum. So part of the goal of thinking about scale network is how can Ethereum succeed? How can uh, Ethereum be scalable in the simplest way possible? And when you think about different layer twos, um, scale network being one one of the layer twos that are out there, um, look, there's, there's a lot of interesting technologies out there for layer twos, um, state channels, plasmas, uh, side chains. And I think it, trying to design or trying to make Ethereum scalable has brought a lot of enthusiasm and people from the industry to work on these various technologies. And I think Scale Network views that more solutions in the space is better than one. Web 3.0 require lots of interoperable technology. And that's sort of our approach for these layer twos is one, it's like, let's give uh, modularity, optionality, and true compatibility will be like the key dimensions to have like a successful layer two. And if these technologies can be interoperable with, the, with each other, um, I think that's important for DAP developers in this space to succeed. So in general, that's like a high level approach. There's going to be a lot of interoperability, a lot of different technologies. Scale Network has one approach, but uh, I think the core team is in belief that 
be a lot of interoperable technologies that will need to work in concert to really see us through to a successful Web 3.0. I love it. I love it. I couldn't agree more. I definitely think that interoperability is the key game here where we're going to have different ways of implementing all of these different technologies, but the ability for them to be able to talk to each other seamlessly, I think is super important. So that was a good kind of lay of the land in terms of some of the the ways that people are thinking about scalability, you know, interoperability and things like this. Scale is obviously offering sidechains, elastic sidechains. So uh, maybe we could start off with the the one sentence, the killer kind of elevator pitch, the killer elevator pitch uh, with the one sentence, and then maybe dive a bit deeper into, you know, how scale fits into this larger landscape and uh, what's unique about scale uh, in particular. Sure. So yeah, the one sentence of what scale is, scale network is a on-demand decentralized blockchain computing platform that allows DApp developers uh, to rent Ethereum-compatible sidechains with which to run their DApps on and validators to provide decentralized compute power to the network. Uh, and all of this is fully Ethereum-compatible. So all the contracts you're currently writing for Ethereum will work one-to-one -one on scale. And that was one of the key approaches to thinking about how do we build or how does Skill Network build a successful layer two? Is one, we want DAP developers who are building for Ethereum not to have any other challenges or to reduce the number of steps that they need to do to get a scalable approach. If they have to learn another language or have to learn an entire another ecosystem to get that scaling, that's a challenge, that's a friction point that I think DAP developers would shy away from. You know, how do we make it as simple as possible? How do we obfuscate like the complexity of what it is to use a scaling technology that can bring your decentralized application from Ethereum to you know hundreds, if not thousands of transactions per second with fast finality with security that's appropriate for your application model. Um, if we can do that in a simple approach, as simple it is as to, you know, in Web 2.0, when you start thinking about scaling, you load up AWS and you can choose your infrastructure. You can choose your um, Elastic Compute Cloud, you can choose uh, your network routing, um, and so on and so forth. And that's all available to you as simple options that you can design specifically for your application and need uh, and the different parameters that you need to run your application. Scale Network is basically providing that for DAP developers and a similar model. So you can select the sidechain that your application needs to run on. You can prioritize different uh, security features uh, needed for your application or your throughput or your size of your skill chain. You can add on different functionalities such as file storage or uh, other optional features uh, if your application uh, requires that. Um, and so there you go. You have like a, a one-click or several-click solution with minimal, uh, as minimal as possible changes to your code in order to achieve your scaling solution. So that's that's basically the productized approach of how Skill Network can provide uh, scaling solutions for DAP developers. Awesome. I love it. I think one thing that kind of stood out to me when I was kind of doing research and chatting to you and many other folks about scale is the parallels between this and AWS and the kind of way that you guys are abstracting away the complexity of, of building decentralized applications. And I, I'm super excited about this because I think that, you know, the whole reason why I started this, this podcast is to kind of try to help push this space forward in terms of abstracting away that complexity of building applications in Web3 and decentralized finance to kind of build the future that we want to. And for me, Scale is doing exactly that. And I can think of a better guest to bring onto the podcast because you guys are literally doing that. And so 
I kind of want to dive deep into what is unique about what you guys are building at scale, because I I could honestly go down the list. There's a lot of different things that we can talk about, but maybe a quick high level of like, you know, there's many different ways you can approach side chains um, in terms of uh, layer two, but how exactly is scale kind of uh, unique in this perspective? Sure. I can break it down to like three different parts. It's a great question. So let's get a little bit deeper. And I say three different parts. And one would be the technology that basically provides your uh, Ethereum compatible sidechain for your DAP. Then the other side of the components of the scaled network that basically support those sidechains. And then third, what is the orchestration layer that basically helps facilitate, run, and operationalize this network? So those are like three different areas that I can kind of quickly dive into. So on one side, the sidechains for the DAP developers. That technology right there, again, like to be fully Ethereum compatible, the way we approached it was we took um, Ethereum's uh, C++ client called Aleth and we forked it and made some small modifications and obviously open sourced that. Um, and it's called Scale-D. Um, so Scale-D is basically the Ethereum client that basically runs EVM and digests your contract onto uh, the scale sidechains. And then that scale D, that client is now connected to two unique technologies to scale network. One is uh, scale consensus, um, which is a really interesting consensus model that comes from like a family of consensus mechanisms called uh, Honey Badger BFT. And our consensus or the scale consensus is a fully asynchronous Byzantine fault tolerant consensus that has a very strong and solid mathematical rigor or backing because this consensus algorithm came from academia and actually came from um, a researcher called Ashur Mustafi from the University of Nantes, uh, along with some other authors. And this is basically, on a high level, just a way for different um, sidechain operators to basically send messages to each other to quickly agree on how do we commit these messages or basically block proposals onto your sidechain um, in a Byzantine fault tolerant fashion, also with an asynchronous fashion, meaning there's no timing assumptions around when these messages might be received or not. Um, and that provides a unique security layer to how we do consensus. That consensus algorithm is combined with BLS threshold signatures, which is a cryptographic protocol that we've designed a library for called libbls. And this is basically a way where each of the participants that run a scale sidechain can basically sign transactions um, and basically solve a problem known in the Ethereum community called the data availability problem. I, I won't go into like deep technical detail because I think that would take another half an hour, but consensus, libbls, or this BLS threshold signatures and scale D, these three technologies combined together basically form the basis for how we provide side chains for DAP developers to run on. So that's one sort of bucket. The other bucket is, well, each of these side chains that your DAP runs on, each individual unit of these side chains is containerized. So when you are given a side chain, you're given a side chain that operates on multiple nodes randomly selected out of the network. So you can think of this as like, say, 16 nodes are randomly selected out of the network. Each of them have a container running on each of those nodes, and that container is basically the, the individual unit of your sidechain. It's a, like a scale D container. And scale D container contains consensus, it contains BLS threshold signatures, and the scale D client. So then we move over to uh, where does, what is the infrastructure that that container, that scale D or sidechain container lives on? So we look at a unit of the network called a scale node. So scale nodes are 
compute resources that are provided by validators that are running the scale network protocol. Um, and on a base level, there's several containers that exist on each of these compute servers. Scale admin, uh, something called the SLA agent and bounty agent, and then optionally different scale D containers upon request. And what these containers do is they basically facilitate um, and operationalize node operations. It allows nodes to register with the network. Um, it allows nodes to respond to requests for uh, operating sidechains. It also allows each node on the network to, you call it like self-police or basically measure the performance of random other nodes in the network and to basically report that to the network to be sure that other nodes are operating within different, uh, different thresholds of good performance. So you have the first bucket, sidechains. The second bucket, you have scale nodes and sort of that infrastructure. And then you have the third bucket, which is also, I think, arguably unique to our layer two network, which is Scale Manager. And Scale Manager is a set of smart contracts that exist on the Ethereum mainnet. And these smart contracts basically articulate all the operations that are needed to facilitate the network. So the Scale Manager basically allows validators to register on the, to the network, delegators to delegate to validators onto the network. Scale Manager is also the interface where DApp developers will request uh, scale chains. And the scale manager will then facilitate the actual choosing of random nodes of the network to operate these side chains. Um, and then scale manager is also the, the facility that nodes can report performance measures of other nodes in the network. So it kind of keeps this like global performance state of the network. And that allows certain validators to earn bounties for their for maintaining good performance above thresholds on the network. So I think those three buckets kind of describe how we achieve what we do. And we try to make it as simple as possible. Again, as a DAP developer, you only need to concern yourself with like deploying onto a sidechain. All the other technologies or deeper technologies, you know, you might not need to concern yourself with as a DAP developer. But I think it's really interesting with Scale Manager being a layer two, the, I kind of think of it as our, the anchoring system for Scale Network exists on Ethereum itself. So uh, as scale network grows, uh, so do the transactions or the gas throughput or, or whatnot, again, grows on the Ethereum network. So our entire network as a layer two is fully anchored and orchestrated by the Ethereum layer one. That That is amazing. It, it is honestly a work of art. Like I was diving deep into the, the white paper while doing some research here. And the way you guys have constructed this architecture is super fascinating. And kind of the fact that you have abstracted all of that complexity, all of that architecture into only two lines of code to deploy into a sidechain is, is honestly mind-blowing. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I think I think there's been a lot of lot of thought put into it and I think on a base level thinking about how can the scale network be as simple as possible for users. Uh, again, two lines of code. How can we leverage all the awesome technologies as we can from Ethereum and how do we make a infrastructure to support this? And so I think focusing on how do we do this one with like solid mathematical rigor to base our technology on. Um, and then how do we do it in a very modular approach that's fully compatible? I think that's given us or given Skill Network a lot of uh, freedom to explore these technologies and to integrate these technologies as well. And then I think it, it gives a lot of flexibility in the future for Skill Network to then um, adopt other technologies or provide other features or compatibility, uh, either through Ethereum or through other networks and whatnot. And the other nice thing, of course, is everything that we have is open source and 
Uh, it's really interesting to see other people in the ecosystem starting to look at our individual technologies like Consensus and LibBLS and SGX Wallet to be reapplied, uh, repurposed for other technologies or, or other ecosystems itself. So it's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 honestly awesome, and that's one big thing that kind of drew me to the entire space is the the openness of everything and the fact that there's so much that is open source, and everyone is looking to kind of share um, all of these amazing kind of uh, discoveries that that people have come across. So yeah, it, it is it is amazing to see. So we've spoken a bit about you know scale and and the amazing architecture that you guys have built and how you've been able to abstract away a lot of the complexity of building decentralized applications today. We're obviously moving from Ethereum 1.0 to Ethereum 2.0, and there's many different phases in between that. And you're obviously very knowledge, knowledgeable on this. You wrote a fantastic post kind of outlining some of the main changes that are going to be happening in Ethereum 2.0 and the fact that, you know, there's many different things around uh, sharding, proof of stake, the consensus mechanism that's going to change, you know, the economics around this and computation and storage. Now, this is a fantastic post for me. I really enjoyed reading it. And uh, Vitalik also had a little read of it and uh, made some comments on it too. And more specifically, he spoke about the computation and storage. And I'll kind of quickly reference your your kind of section on this to give the audience some context here. But essentially, you, you go on to say that the limitations of sharding is that each shard will still face uh, the same constraints that, that currently exist in ETH1 in ETH2. And uh, obviously this was written in uh, May 2019 and you prefaced the statement by saying that um, obviously this, this could potentially be addressed in the future. But, you know, things like some of the issues relating to, you know, high cost and low throughput and the lack of, you know, cost effective decentralized storage is still going to be a big issue in um, ETH2. And so I'd kind of like to drive the conversation towards like what scale looks like in ETH 2.0. I know Vitalik mentioned, he, he kind of went on to agree with you to say that there's still a lot of room for layer twos because a lot of the core issues still won't be fully kind of solved because uh, folks are going to want to uh, need more scalability in post ETH 2 world. So I'd love for us to talk a bit about what a scale look like post ETH 2 and how you guys going to kind of uh, navigate that world. Yeah, I think... As we move towards ETH 2.0, and I think the, the timelines are still ambiguous about when that happens. And I think just to preface that, like, uh, you know, Scale Network is trying to provide a solution now for DAP developers. And back to my earlier comment, again, like Scale Network core team, we are very inspired and uh, we're very supportive of Ethereum. We love the technology. We're closely watching ETH 2.0 as it evolves. And I think the standards are evolving, the timelines are evolving. And uh, we're looking forward to E2.0 coming out. And uh, we have several technologies and that's way out onto the horizon that we've been thinking about and considering as E2.0 comes into purview. But when that timing is, is sort of uncertain. Um, but again, we want to help Ethereum ecosystem. Um, I kind of see as there will still be a solid ETH 1.0, like layer one chain that will still be extremely useful. As ETH 2.0 comes into purview, Scale has other technologies like uh, BLS rollups and whatnot that we think will be supportive for the networking. Will give optionality for de developers to continue to have other ways or other technologies to use or leverage as ETH 2.0 comes into purview. Um, but you know, given that timelines and technologies will shift, it's hard for me to like paint a picture of what scale will specifically be like after E2.0. But I will say ETH Network, you know, we're going to be supporting what developers need. Um, and if developers fully need ETH 2.0 and scale, uh, we'll be there to support it. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Like you say, I, I think we, we covered this really well at the beginning of the podcast in that things are moving at breakneck speed and kind of a lot of these timelines are still up in the air and things change quite often. But in any case, I think things like scale are going to be massively important in terms of increasing the scalability of these these layer ones. And that will definitely, I think, include ETH2 in the future. So I'd love to kind of dive deep into, you know, how folks can get involved. You know, there's a lot of fascinating things here that folks can, you know, learn from this podcast and go uh, research on the internet. And I'm sure people are itching to kind of, you know, play around with this. And so um, I know that Christine wrote a really good post on migration. So layer two migration and taking kind of like a phased approach. She went on to say, you know, starting off with phase one, where folks would generally kind of deploy a single smart contract onto an elastic sidechain, just to kind of see how things go, very low stakes, Play around with the network and then in phase two they can kind of deploy more contracts onto that same side chain or maybe another one because of its elastic nature and then obviously phase three would be going on to um, have interchange messaging which essentially is allowing uh, users to to transfer messages back and forth between ethereum and and, and these side chains and 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 mainly stuff around you know state changes and low-level messagings and so I'd love to kind of talk a bit about, you know, how folks are using scale and then maybe dive a bit deeper into where scale is at right now. I know the network is going to be launched later on in the year. And so maybe we could touch a bit on that. Sure. Um, yeah. Christine is our solutions uh, engineer, director of solutions engineering. Um, she's written a really great post on that about thinking about how to approach layer two and, and how to think about your contract architecture and the things that you can explore. So I definitely recommend for people to reach out and, and check out that post. I think it's on our uh, skill.network uh, blog. But yeah, I think for people to start experimenting with scale, um, I think we have a scale innovator program for different app developers. If they want to choose, they can reach out onto our website to sign up for that. And that's a program to sort of allow people who are developing apps, give them sort of very early uh, skill chains to operate on and you know, sort of like a, a white glove approach to helping and support and thinking about uh, scaling your DAP. So there's that program that's available. Um, we have some other programs launching soon um, just for like some simple test chains to get people an idea of like what it is to actually deploy on our system. Um, arguably it's pretty simple. I think in a lot of previous hackathons that we supported, we supported a number of ETH global events. I think most recently Denver. One thing I always get is like, people are like, wow, it's just, it feels like deploying to a main network, but I thought something was broken because it just happened so fast. And I think for them, it's just interesting. It's like, you know, it's obviously not deploying to Ganache, like actually deploying to uh, a decentralized set of nodes that are operating throughout the world and running a uh, scale sidechain. So it's really interesting to see uh, people just thinking like, I thought something broke, but it just happened so fast. <laughs> and uh, I think a well, I've seen a lot of people build really incredible ideas uh, with our technology. Um, one one technology that stands out is... Uh, at East Boston last year, um, I gave a talk as like a teaser talk on um, a product that we've been de developing called ScaleML. And uh, it's really fascinating because I think it, it leverages a lot of parts of the scale network that's sort of just beyond throughput and finalization. It kind of focuses on, hey, let's now that we've sort of you know, pulled the bar back around what constraints people have for, for designing apps, let's actually try to push the envelope for what sort of complexity can you involve with a Solidity contract. Um, so what ScaleML is, is basically allowing people to combine a machine learning model with a Solidity contract such that you can 
take, you can basically forward propagate around a trained learning model and have the outputs of that basically control features of a smart contract. Um, and this talk was just to engender um, some ideas, get people interested in it. And a, um, a team at ETH Boston actually decided to dig in. Um, and again, we didn't have barely any documentation around this. And, um, you know, of course, at any hackathon, they were working uh, all hours of the night up to basically, you know, maybe two minutes before the final judgment time. And they submitted their app called a, a non-hero. And they basically leveraged ScaleML to say, hey, we want to do a, uh, an idea around proof of protest, where if there's a protest happening at a certain location, we want to allow people to take pictures um, of the location to be able to upload it using Scale's file storage to basically store those photos and to basically say like, hey, I'm here, there's a protest that's happening. And they used ScaleML to say, well, we're going to train a model to basically identify, again, it was a hackathon, so it was simplified. You know, We're gonna allow it to identify whether you're outside, whether you're near like an office park, or whether you're in a forest or something like that, as a proxy to say, look, we can identify whether the photo was taken in a relevant location that matches sort of the precise location where they say the protest is happening as a way to filter and sort of prove that yes, this person was there on location and this picture is relevant according to the location that we're at uh, to prove that the protest was in fact like a legitimate protest and this photo represents data to prove that that protest existed. So I think that was a really fascinating app that that people developed uh, at a hackathon. Um, and I think it just like begins to sort of engender the newer types of technologies or business models that you can create using ScaleML. And again, that's introducing technology where it's like not extremely high throughput, but you're actually kind of pushing uh, the limits of EBM to basically forward propagate through a machine learning model and tie that to uh, you know different activities through the smart contract. So that's just one. There's plenty of other interesting applications, both from hackathons and, and SIP programs. Um, I won't be able to talk about SIP program, but I think that list of customers that are there might be released uh, uh, just before we network launch. That's absolutely awesome. This is this is why I think scale is so interesting because you guys are quite literally, you know, solving some of the main issues that that face that developers today. Like, you know, the ability to integrate machine learning models with, you know, with contracts and Ethereum is like still something that people are not really talking about. And the fact that you guys are, you know, working on this and trying to trying to make this more accessible basically makes the toolkit of a developer more broad and more wide and therefore allows for more interesting applications like the one you just mentioned and so yeah I, I think what you guys are doing is like super interesting and I know that I've spoken to a few people on your team and, and kind of spoken to a few folks that um, are playing around with scale and not really a betting man but if I was I would I would say um, scale has a very bright future I think there's a lot of uh, very fascinating things that are going to be built on it and I'm, I'm really really excited for the future of scale nice nice thank you and so is the core team and uh, I invite everyone to check out our GitHub. All our stuff is open source. If you want to get crazy, like deep down in layers of our technology, um, take a look at our consensus, um, BLS threshold signatures, SGX wallet, uh, our scale, scale D fork of Aleth, as well as some, you know, I think we have a, a whole repo just of demos that Christine has created from all her fantastic presentations at ETH Global events. So I encourage people to check that out. I think actually her latest demo involves combining Unity 
um, a Unity game um, actually deployed on a skill chain. Um, and it's actually like a, a go-kart racing game for points, which is really cool and just starts to, uh, again, sort of engender some ideas around how you can take like VR or arcade games and, and pull that into a, a, a skill side chain and really leverage the throughput and finalization to make like solidly usable um, and very engaging games. That's awesome. That's awesome. And and as always, um, everything we mentioned here will be linked up in the description. So um, you can definitely have a look and, and go crazy and check out all the amazing stuff that we're, we're talking about. So just to kind of wrap up and kind of uh, bring this conversation to a close, you're obviously, you're obviously a product guy and this is a product podcast and we can't finish the podcast without talking about, you know, other kind of product related things. And so a lot of folks listening to this are on product teams in crypto or in product teams outside of crypto and are kind of edging towards making the jump into crypto. And you obviously have a very unique position in that you're the VP of product at Scale and Scale is helping other product teams build amazing applications. So you get to see a lot of interesting things. So in your opinion, uh, what's one thing that you've learned while building Scale that you think would be helpful uh, as advice to other product teams in the space? And just to give you kind of a way of answering this, I asked this to another founder and they, they beautifully outlined this and they said they split the advice into for product teams that are you know beginning just getting into the space and then for product teams who are already experienced and are kind of building stuff so you can you can use that framework you can uh, mix it up feel free to have a stab at that hmm that's a great question um product in this space is very difficult (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, i wouldn't say difficult it's it's more challenging um you know the the technology is not easy it involves you know distributed computing uh, solidity, you know, these notions of decentralization and security. Um, so any, any sort of product team is going to be forced to be involved deeply with distributed computing, cryptography, you know, being able to put their finger or pulse on the space. Like I mentioned earlier, the innovation velocity in the space is so fast. So how do you capture that customer knowledge when it's going to be actively changing? How do you capture that customer knowledge of when the ecosystem is actively changing and and needs are are rapidly evolving? It's hard, um, but I think it's really key. I mean, fundamentals, just focusing on customers. And I think that's been a trend that's been evolving quite rapidly in this space. Um, You know, before I think there was like very few product teams. In fact, there's probably like no product managers uh, in this space, with the exception of you know some large stalwart companies like Coinbase and whatnot, but I think that's that's evolved where people are like, well, we need to really like these are really interesting technologies. People have built a lot of fascinating products, but I think now there needs to be a shift to think about product market fit and how can Web 3.0 be relevant not just for people in this ecosystem, but be relevant for um, everyone in the world that's currently using Web 2.0 and how do we how do we bridge that gap? Um, and I think the technology has been very complicated and that's challenged uh, UX. Um, you know, how do we take things like BLS threshold signatures and allow people to use it, give them a sprinkling of like what it is, but basically obfuscate the complexity of that technology. So I'd say heading product in this space is very demanding, but it's a lot of fun because you get to interact with uh, a lot of different technologies, a lot of different projects, a, a very strong, extremely passionate ecosystem of people who are passionate about what Web 3.0 will bring and a fascinating gamut of engineers who are, have also passion in the space and very interesting skill sets. So, 
yeah, that would be my roundabout answer of uh, what it's like to get into product and into the space. Um, and I think just also, you know, question the status quo of like what product is. I think this we're working in Web 3.0, um, I think demands like a little bit of thinking outside the box. In, in my previous life, I didn't start in technology, but I started in a completely different ecosystem or industry in pharmaceuticals and biotech uh, running product. I basically run product my entire life, but in two different industries. And in pharmaceuticals, biotech, you have a very slow clock speed, but building product there is extremely difficult. One, it's a lot of reverse engineering. Two, you're building products that you have no blueprint or no um, deterministic way of determining what that product is going to do to a human once it gets in the body. So that sort of coming into software, it's sort of focused a lot of like, how do we do strong experimentation? Like if I have no determinist knowledge of like how this product is going to evolve in this ecosystem or work with these different technologies, what are the experiments or what are the data that we I can capture? Or what are some sort of reverse engineering techniques that I can do to at least learn a little bit more about how this product might operate or what might the needs be? But ultimately, again, it focuses on the customer um, and what customers need and building the right products and focusing on the right things. Wonderful. I I couldn't agree more. I think, and it's interesting there that you mentioned your background in uh, medicine and the the parallels between building and software um, and the ability to experiment rapidly and, you know, the differences between quite honestly, not knowing how the the products that you create are going to react in the human body. It's a very different environment. And so um, I can imagine there's kind of a lot of interesting challenges around both of those things there. But that was that was really good. That was really good advice. I, I definitely agree with a lot of it there. Um, keep your finger on the pulse. Make sure that you uh, question the status quo. I think that that's like that's super important. Um, you're definitely going to have to be a lot more technical, get very deep into cryptography um, if you're going to be a really if you want to be a really good product person in this space. And so, yeah, I think all of that advice is is really really good and I, and I I appreciate you sharing it with us and and the audience. So I guess final question just to wrap things up. I always love to ask this one. It's very interesting to get uh, folks thoughts on this because it gives kind of an insight into uh, their personality and their their way of thinking and some interesting things that maybe perhaps within crypto outside of crypto are I guess unique to them. So what's one book podcast article that you've come across recently that has kind of blown you away? or changed your assumptions in a, in a profound way? Crypto, non-crypto, anything goes, what do you think? Wow. Um, <laughs> um, let me think. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I'm trying to think because, let's see, crypto podcast. I think, okay, one thing that comes to mind um, is this podcast called New Models. And I can't remember how I came across New Models. Um, it might've been through some other podcast or some other guest. Um, but they have a really interesting site. If you go to newmodels.io, if you go there and I think they have like, uh, it looks like a website from maybe 15 years ago. There's all these sort of animations and very simple HTML, TD, TR tables and whatnot. Um, but they have a really fascinating aggregation of different talks and different topics. Um, and for me, that's like, I love just being exposed to different ideas, uh, like a disparate, different, like disparate ideas very quickly without having to search too much. Um, I really enjoyed the content on newmodels.io. They also have a podcast that goes along with it, um, that I listen to and I just really fascinating topics. And just a tangent off of that, there's been, um, another talk from there. I might actually have to look this up because I, I can't, I think his name is 
Benjamin Batten, but he's a researcher from, I think, University of Southern California. I might be botching that. Um, but he's written um, uh, several books and is, is actually currently doing a, um, uh, a research, or not a research, a sort of a, uh, a lecture series at this institute in Moscow called the Strykel Institute. I might be botching that name as well. I am a chronic mispronouncer. Um, but he's written a lot of these theories about um, like different models of perceiving the world. And you caught me off guard because I can't remember the name of his book that came out. But it was a book that basically is rethinking how the world is evolving in terms of a a technologically centric lens. And what I mean by that um, is just like, yeah, just thinking about how it might not be humans evolving these things, but it's rather the world or the technological development that actually instigates humans for discovering things. So it's like an evolution of technology's perspective and then how humans are basically responding to the technological development. I, I believe his name is Benjamin Bratton and he is a fantastic lecturer. Um, he's got these really long lectures online on YouTube and I find them extremely fascinating. Um, so that's one thing that's inspired me recently. And I think I came across him through the New Models website. So check it out. That is fantastic. I just, I'm looking at the New Models website and you weren't kidding. It literally looks like a website built in the 2000s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was, when I was uh, first designing websites, like way back in high school, that's, those are basically the websites I was designing. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is cool. And I'm looking at, it's such a variety of different topics here. This looks super interesting. Yeah, it's, it's just like, the reason I love it is like you get exposed to a whole gamut of different ideas extremely quickly. Um, and I just sort of shift through there and I just find some really fascinating ideas. There's one opinion article on TikTok that I found, uh, kind of, uh, I, I just love the, the fervor that it came about and it had a really interesting perspective of like TikTok and, um, how TikTok is this sort of like, interesting frame of where where has our society evolved to basically develop all the fervor that TikTok has created and whether that's good or bad I think it you know leaves it up to the reader to to decide on that but um yeah I've just been fascinated with new models I just love the content that's out there there you go that is something that I'm going to have to have a look up. Th- thank you so much for uh, the recommendation. Everything will be again linked up. We'll we'll kind of um, do an aggregation of all the all the links that we spoke about and have it in the in the source notes. My friend, thank you so much for joining us. This was an absolute blast. I learned a lot. I hope the audience learned a lot, and I I hope that you know we continue to kind of see this progression towards abstracting away complexity of building uh, DApps in the future. And yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure being here. Uh, Thank you for the invite. It was great talking with you again and uh, uh, really enjoyed the last hour of this chat. So thank you. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure to have you on board, my friend. And a big thank you to all the listeners who made it through to the end. I hope you guys enjoyed this as much as we enjoyed making it for you. Without further ado, see you in the next episode.